0: Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Thanks for joining me today for another discussion around nutrition and health without compromise. Have you thought about the imprint that you leave on this earth? About the waste you generate as you procure your food and buy products? Sure, some of them are recyclable. But is this its first life? Second life? Will it have a renewed use after it's completed its mission in your hands? These days, recyclability often comes into question with many technically recyclable plastics finding no new home at all, and no second life at all. Trash litters our highways. It litters our trailheads, our creek beds, and even our oceans. So what are we to do? Where should the responsibility really lie? Today, we're going on a journey that invites you to think about your footprint as we focus in on all things packaging, from the materials you use in packaged foods and products that you buy, to even the boxes used to ship them to your door. And even those print materials that market and educate you about the sometimes sustainable products and services you've bought are just considering buying. To unpack this topic, that might have been a little (laughs) punny, to get to the bottom of this issue and have an open discussion about how we can do things differently to lessen the impact that each of us have with our consumption, I'm joined by Saloni Doshi. Saloni serves as a CEO and Chief Sustainability Officer of EcoEnclose, a company that's dedicated to create plastic-free shipping solutions that are kinder to the environment for e-commerce companies. She is passionate about helping conscious companies thrive and pursuing advancements that will help us all build towards a truly circular materials economy. For those of you watching this episode on YouTube, you'll see an example of her work. Solani. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise. Thank you so much, Karina, for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time today. Now, I understand that you also have a background in the development and growth of sustainable food and agriculture. What led you from that path as the Managing Director of New Venture Advisors to this journey with EcoEnclose?
1: With the New Venture Advisors, we really focused on transitioning monocrop farms into sustainable polycrop production facilities and how to make them do that in a way that was profitable, worked for the families that owned those farms, but also met the development and sustainability goals of the municipalities. It was incredible work. I really targeted it. I mean, I'm not, I love agriculture, but I'm not an expert in agriculture itself. I'm an expert in business. I did that work really of like how do you make this viable? Because people get so scared. They're like, I, I know exactly how much I'm gonna make from corn, but I don't know how much I'm gonna make from this the sustainable farm. That was my role there. I loved the work. Eight years ago, my husband and I actually started, or my husband more was like, I'm interested in buying a business. Eco and clothes came across our lens. It was tiny. It was about four people and one product line at the time, started by a woman in Colorado. And when we met her, and I just realized what is Eco and Clothes all about? It is sustainable packaging but also serving some of the most progressive forward thinking e-commerce sustainability minded brands in the world that was so appealing to me because you're like at equal close, you're focus on building a more sustainable more circular product and guiding companies to do that well, right to, to sort of pursue sustainability well. So the intersection of like business and sustainability was probably even more pronounced at EcoEnclose than it was in my former life in sustainable agriculture. At the beginning, I split my time between both, and as EcoEnclose got bigger and bigger, I managed to come here full time, and it's been just a passion project ever since.
0: I have to say, it is a journey every single day. It's one of those things where each of us we make an impact in every purchase we make. I've been frustrated to the point where going to the grocery store these days. I've not been baking, I've not been getting the berries that I want to eat because they're just packaged in plastic and it feels wasteful. I'm able to get to my local farmers markets occasionally but not every time, and sometimes the sellers that are there have them in plastic cartons too. It just feels like we need to shift our entire patterning into something that is more focused on what can be a truly sustainable world. I know that some are concerned with paper use too because they'll say, "Oh, well, You've got the paper solution, but that's cutting down more trees. How do you answer that question when it comes your way?
1: I will be really honest to say that we do have some parts of what we sell that are plastic. It's always 100% recycled with high levels of PCR, but we spent a lot of our energy focused on plastic-free solutions, and we work with a lot of brands that are trying to go plastic-free, and you hit the nail on the head. We work very closely with an organization called Canopy, a Canopy Planet. I think they're phenomenal. One of the leading advocates out there to preserve ancient and endangered forests and we're a policy holder for them so that means we're a packed for good policy holder they're incredible they're such experts in this space and we've really worked closely with them to understand okay well if you take virgin plastic and you replace it with virgin paper and you don't know where that paper came from and it could be the development of that paper could have cut down a tree from an ancient and endangered forest, you've actually damaged the planet more because the preservation of carbon and the essentialism of that tree to preserving biodiversity and preserving soil strength is so critical. It's frankly even probably more critical than that plastic that you're replacing. Working with them, we've really focused on, okay, what does circular paper mean? And so for us, it means a couple things. First and foremost, 100% recycled wherever possible with very high levels of post-consumer waste the vast majority of our paper packaging is made with that level of recycled content. The next layer, like let's say you can't get 100% recycled, there's a couple of reasons why it might be supply. It might be the fact that paper strength does degrade when you increase recycled content. The fiber lengths gets smaller, so the actual strength of that paper board decreases. In a lot of situations, it doesn't matter, but let's say it really matters to you in this instance. The next layer is what they call next-generation fibers, And next generation fibers are basically fibers that come from agricultural waste. So if you're growing a bunch of hemp to make CBD product or something like that, can the waste fibers from that production be put into into paper? It's a growing space, so there's not a lot of capacity or supply available, but it's something we're driving towards quite a bit. If for some reason that doesn't work, then you start looking at interesting on-purpose crops like miscanthus is an interesting grass that has very long fibers. And when you grow this grass, it actually fixes carbon into the soil. So it's a great crop to grow. That's not available. Then the next is to get certified sustainable virgin forest wood that you know doesn't come from ancient and endangered forests. And I feel like some people are like, you talk about this so much, Sonia, but it's like the world is moving from plastic to paper. It is impossible to get paper right now. And people are not spending nearly enough time being thoughtful about the source of that paper. And it's really starting to put pressure on the forests that we need to preserve. Like it's so essential to me that we preserve these forests long term for, you know, the future of our planet
0: the complete same camp with you, but I also understand that we've just introduced several topics all in one with this paper question. So I want to go to a couple of examples to help people understand. And I've actually used this solution with print materials in the past, sugarcane as an option for a recyclable and also less intensive unit within this paper world. What is that availability today? Because when I worked with it in the past, we sometimes had a bulk buy and buy a lot more than we might need to create the boxes that encompass product than we might need for some time. And one of the attributes of sugarcane in this case was that if you made cardboard from it, the cardboard would become a little bit more brittle with time. I wondered if that is something that you're looking at and other grasses, because sugarcane is essentially like a
1: grass. How would you say these stack up and their durability and use. Just give a nod to Canopy Paper, they have a bunch of position statements on the different types of non-tree inputs into sort of offset trees for paper. They talk a lot about bagasse as being an interesting alternative. However, a recognition that the way that sugarcane is grown in most of the world is actually pretty detrimental to soils. Um, It uses, it's a high fertilizer, high pesticide, high water consumption, it's a monocrop, it does degrade soils. While it is really interesting if you're already in a sugarcane plantation it's great let's use the sugarcane for its primary source and let's use the waste product to make paper that's essential but to recognize that if we try to replace all of our paper with sugarcane byproducts we're actually going to damage the soil more or damage the world a little bit more it's a very balanced question i'll give you a little bit of what i think is the hierarchy i guess of these non tree based inputs but this is again canopy paper does a little bit of a better job we look first at like carbon-fixing crops that are used for a primary purpose, and then their waste product can go into paper. I mentioned hemp. Flax could also be a really good example of this, where people are using it, growing it, and hemp in particular, it's low water use, it does fix carbon into the soil, and then it's used to make all of these interesting products today worldwide. Not as much in the U.S., you don't have access to hemp as much, but worldwide you have a lot of good access to hemp, and then that waste product can go into paper. In the U.S., we do a lot of wheat, so we produce a lot of wheat, It's not bad for the soil. And then the wheat straw can go into paper. We actually have a product that's 20% wheat straw. I will say wheat straw is not very strong. Hemp fibers are long. It strengthens paper when it's added. Wheat straw is like the fiber length is similar to recycled paper. So you don't add strength to the paper by adding it to, to it. It's a little bit like recycled paper. So it has some setbacks there. Then the next layer that I get excited about are, I think I mentioned Miscanthus, which is called elephant grass and there's something in this country called hexis. It's like engineered plant. These things grow like sugarcane, like like weeds almost. They do fix carbon into the soil and the entire plant becomes the tree paper. That's sort of your next level. And then I put sugarcane in the same place where I put bamboo. I think sugarcane and bamboo, they're both interesting additions to paper, but we wanna tread carefully because the production of these products can divert forests. You can be cutting down forests to make these products you could be degrading soils by making these products. They're still much better than a tree that could be from an old growth forest or an ancient endangered forest. But certainly there are potentially other things to look for first. It's all a balance, right? You're trying to figure out like what's the mix of fibers that we can get into the fiber basket of the paper that we use that's really good. But we can't rely on any one because if we rely on any one, then we're going to degrade our planet by like monocropping that one. We're just trying to figure out what's the right sort of pie, and how do we split the pie up against all of the different inputs?
0: When you talked earlier about the fact that taking in one of those old growth trees could be more detrimental than using plastic, it's not necessarily a popular discussion in pretty much any community because we just want it to be cut and dry, simple, like plastic bad, paper better. The reality is that there are companies out there that are even making toilet paper now from bamboo and saying that it's more sustainable and a better solution to the toilet paper that we would get from a tree. I mean, I know this is outside of what you do, but what would your view be on that viewpoint?
1: I don't personally yet buy bamboo toilet paper. I love what the mission of those companies are trying to do because I think it's trying to start a conversation. I just like love how you said it, which is like people want a silver bullet solution. And I get a little nervous when any company comes out and says like their input into a product is like cut and dried perfect and better than any or cut and dried perfect. Because then I think it maybe teaches consumers the wrong messaging. I will say that my team sometimes yells at me because they are like, "Why do you make things so complicated? Like you put so much content, and nobody can like sort through the content. They just want simple answers." You know very well, like working in this space, like there's no simple answers in sustainability, and the only way to make good decisions is to like get into the nuance and the complexity, and then make what ultimately are hard decisions. Because right now, no decision is perfect. I'm hopeful. I'm a dreamer. So I'm hoping in like in 10, 20 years, like can we find materials whose production is actually net positive for the planet and use those to make some of our single use packaging? Like that's my dream, but we're not there yet. So you've got to first say like every product that we produce, every packaging that we produce is a net bad for the planet, but how can we lessen the bad as much as possible? And we sort of got to compare and contrast use data and then pick the thing that we think best embodies and builds towards the future that we want to get to. Not a great answer, I guess. We got to use data. So I would much rather my toilet paper come from recycled paper than bamboo. If somebody came to me and said, well, there's not enough recycled paper in the world, I'd say, well, let's use our wheat straw for that. Let's do all of these things before we get to bamboo. And if we accidentally tell everybody bamboo is the answer, then we're going to make some bad decisions as a world. How do we get through the nuance there?
0: I thought the bamboo people had it nailed, but I've
1: also seen hemp toilet papers. I mean, that's it, the fiber basket, everybody who's growing the fiber basket without demonizing another material, I think is doing justice to the work we're trying to build towards. You've also
0: made some innovative steps within what you're doing as a company. I know that, for instance, in the build of the Orlo brand, we worked with you to design our shipper, which I'll hold up now for those that are in the YouTube channel. We printed this with algae ink, And this was part of the reason that we chose to come to you because we were ultimately thinking, heck, we're an algae company. If we can print with algae ink, we're creating more of that circular economy as well, even from the algae space, because we're taking waste stream algae from the nutrition category. So the algae is already grown for food. This is a secondary product that replaces a petrochemical, not oil-based, not kind of leaning into this toxic potential material. We chose to work with Post Consumer Recycled. And I know that that may not be the best solution for some boxes, but because we kept this box small and because it has so many turns to it, so to speak, that adds the structural integrity of it. I think it came out beautifully and our customers have been raving about it. Overall, I think it came through really, really well. I want to you to talk for a moment about this journey to working with algae ink because i know we would like to say oh it's super simple and you just replaced it and no problem but of course you had to go through some basic vetting and preparation and ensure that the algae could work on your materials on things like craft and on a craft that was recycled because again it's like how wet is it is it going to absorb more i mean you have to get the formula right isn't that
1: correct you got it. And I think you've had Scott on this show, Scott Fulbright from Living Inc., He's probably shared quite a bit of his part of the journey. Um, you know, he and Steve are the inventors of this incredible innovation. That's where the credit is due, where I think eco and close played a role is just like, you come up with an innovation. Scott says this really well. He says it a lot in his LinkedIn, but the idea that you can come up with an invention, it doesn't matter until somebody starts using it. And the first people who start using it, are not like the Nikes of the world, right? Like Nike just launched a line with Algae Inc, but it took them five years to get there because the first people who use a technology, the folks that are like, we wanna be Mavericks, we wanna try this and we're willing to make mistakes along the way. When we met Scott, we met him in early 2017. There was like a technology around Algae Inc. He had like a Kickstarter where they did something and it was like, hey, we can screen print with this in our house, but we don't really know what else to do with it. And we said, okay, well, let's try to see if we can print our boxes in it. I think Scott probably made you this. I want to make the idea of what algae ink is because I didn't understand ink until I met Scott. And he probably gave this overview. But for people listening today, I think it's helpful to understand this. I have a a bucket here of an algae ink that we have in our print shop back there. And so if you take a bucket of ink, 80% of it is water or solvent if you're using a solvent-based ink or soy. Then 10% of it or so is additives, like things that help with the drying and making sure it doesn't rub off. And then 10% of it is pigment. A lot of people think, oh, water-based ink is sustainable, but in most water-based ink, the pigment is still a petrochemical, a non-renewable resource. That pigment, if it's black, carbon black is made from burning petroleum. And basically, this is simplification, but the ashes become the pigment for carbon black. That's the tip of black we use all the time. What Scott and Steve did at Living Ink is they said, okay, can we make that pigment out of algae cells? And as you said, waste algae cells from an algae production facility that was used for something else. So what they ended up inventing was an ink that because the pigment is made from algae cells, a typical bucket of that ink is actually sequestering carbon. Like the carbon goes into those algae cells and is sequestered into the ink. A bucket of algae ink sequesters the same amount of carbon as the planting of four trees. So it's just a really cool technology. We hear this story and we're like, okay, we gotta figure out how to use it. And Scott's like, we're not ready to 2017. We're not ready to use it yet. And we're like, come on down. We've got a flexographic printer in house, just bring it. You know, I remember the early runs, You know, it was foaming, like all these things that you would know if you're a printer, like it's foaming, it's not drying, it's just not working very well. In that same time, we started talking about algae, we had a couple customers who were like, let's just figure out how to use it for my box. One of them, I have a bedrock box here, one of them was bedrock sandals. And they became the first customer that was like, just figure it out and try to use algae ink on my boxes. And the first iteration, because, and then Scott would keep going back and iterate. He would say, it's foaming, it's not drying, it's whatever, and he would change the formulation. But early on, we had bedrock that was like, print with my algae ink. Early on, we had to do like 50% algae ink, 50% standard ink, blend in our ink well. And then over time, we got it to 70%, then 80%. And a year later, we were at 100% algae ink. And the ink that they came up with over time was spectacular. It's like velvety and beautiful. Like, I think the pigment's even better than a standard black. But it took, you know, a year of that iteration. Then you have a shirt right there. Then they were like, okay. And now they can even print it on a t-shirt. This is the Orlo shirt. This is mine, been
0: wandered a few times, but it's still very black, printed on front and back. And similar to your company, Farm Fresh in California, their innovation on their end and make sure they could make it work and print well on textiles, be as good as what they would traditionally screen print with and launder as well and stay. I was so impressed with just the ability of them to get to this point where the black in this shirt is as black or more black than other prints that I have that have been laundered around the same number of times. Even the CEO, Ohad Bashan of Vaxa Technologies, he said, look, you know, if you want to work with this Algae ink, you've got to prove to me that it's going to be good enough because if we're going to sell it or use it to market our products, we have to know. I ordered a sample and I I laundered that so many times because I just wanted to verify, is this going to work? And similarly, you know, I'd seen some samples from you guys that you'd printed with the algae ink and they came out really nicely. When you're going for a craft look, when you're understanding that you want it to be an eco play and you're leaning into that, being able to tell that story full circle, I think is really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I lo- you guys do such a good job messaging it, right? If somebody is like, I just want a black that's exactly like the black I normally print with, but use algae, you're probably going to be able to get there, but that's not the compelling, that's not why to use algae, right? Use algae, tell your story, make your whole brand sort of align together around sustainability, and then your customers love it. And you help to pave the way for more companies for algae, right? The dream of living ink. so much black ink in the world, like, can we replace all of that black ink? with ink that's not coming from fossil fuels, but pigments that are coming from algae cells or other renewable technologies.
0: And then get to the point where the black in my coffee cup, which this one I will show just because it is a commitment to my sustainability. I've had this cup for a very long time. It's beat to hell. And I have literally traveled with it over the entire planet from Australia to Europe. And I bring it with me, but it is black. So what is it colored
1: with? Black, exactly. And, you know, they're getting into makeup. So it's like mascara and eyeliner. You know, you look around, once you start thinking about ink, you're like, oh, everything's black. It's either black dye or black, carbon black in some capacities. I want
0: to talk for a moment about what point when it gets to these cardboard pieces, like this is post-consumer recycled, 100% post-consumer recycled. How many lives can it live past this moment? Because the fibers have gotten rather short. Is this and it's the last life or do you just continue to send it through to recycling and see what happens?
1: Typically, they say paper has, with our current de-inking technologies, like five to seven lives. And so certainly there are many more lives available to this. What If it's in a corrugate of any capacity, high enough quality to be recycled into something interesting in its next life. I'm making this up a little bit because it all depends on what Murph and who they're selling to. But you get high quality virgin corrugate, it gets turned into maybe 30% recycled corrugate, then maybe the next life it's 100% recycled, then it could become like a cereal box, like a paperboard cereal box, then it can become sort of thin sheet of paper or a toilet paper or something like that. And eventually it sort of degrades down the line where things like paper towels, toilet paper, tissue paper become harder to recycle. And what is great about paper is that it is naturally biodegradable. So its ultimate life could be the compost long term. The idea is like, how do we get it through those five to seven lives before it ends up being composted?
0: I have actually added mine as weed barrier in my garden. You know, I was thinking in this particular case, because of the fact that it's algae ink and not petrochemicals, that I wouldn't mind putting it in my strawberry bed, as a for example, to keep the weeds at bay and just have it underneath the bark layer. And then that would enable me to keep more moisture in, especially during these hot summer months, without using... Plastic-based type material like the weed fabric that they would sell at the garden center. That's kind of where I am right now. If it doesn't leave my door and doesn't get into this recycle mode, how can I repurpose it in my home? We also compost. We need brown material in the compost, so sometimes we'll tear up some papers like that that are not bleached to be part of that cycle.
1: That's great. We have a bunch of local gardeners who pick up our car because we have scrap. We manufacture the cardboard in house, and then we've got scrap, and they'll pick up the scrap. And I do the same to lay down in their, you know, raised beds. And it's incredible. It's a great solution.
0: I discovered it on watching videos on YouTube and I was like, you can do that? I've never thought about it. Something new I tried this year and so far it's working quite well. I wonder if there's anything really new that you're working on that you're excited about. I know you'd mentioned something, the stamp arena with algae inks. Talk about that.
1: For years we've been, you know, printing on boxes and we've had some smaller companies who are like I'm not at a at a level where I can print my boxes with an MOQ of 250 or 500 with algae ink but can you get stamping? And stamping is interesting. It's a little bit different because it needs to have a different viscosity and uh, consistency than a flexographic ink. It also has to stay wet in a stamp pad but not be sticky. It has to dry quickly on your substrate and has to work with sort of interesting quality rubber stamp. And finally, this is my skunkworks project. I spent like two days back in a lab, like trying to mix a bunch of things together like water, glycerin, alcohol, ink, pigments, etc. And finally got to a consistency that I felt really good about, have been testing it for a week and then got 10, 20 folks just to be sampling it. Right now we've got 10 this week sampling this stamp pad ink, roll it onto an uninked stamp pad like that you know, you'll like stamp that and you get that. What is really cool about this is that it'll open up the algae ink technology to companies that you do stamp as their branding. The smaller companies, people who also may be stamping like urgent things on their papers. Like it's just going to open up this technology to a bunch of more players than who have access to it now. I'm hopeful in a couple of weeks we'll have it live on our site and it'll just be a really great way to make the technology more accessible.
0: I happen to know the founder of a company out of the Pacific Northwest called Seabar a spray paint presently on their box, but I think this might be a better solution. <laughs>
1: do they do like a stencil and a spray paint? Yeah,
0: exactly. Their mission is really to get plastics out of your bathroom. They do bar form shampoo and conditioner. They do have plastic as the container for it because it needs something that doesn't degrade in the shower and not glass, not breakable. But one single piece you could use multiple, multiple times over and just keep refilling which greatly reduces your reliance on the plastic. And it is a post-consumer recycled plastic to start with. They're making some inroads in that way to clean up our bathroom routines. It seems like if you had a solution like that, that might be something he's interested in too. I could reach out for sure.
1: Honestly, we're also really open. If anybody is listening and they're like, I don't know what to do with it, I'm not open to just sending you a batch of ink that you might formulate and sort of add and add water and I can tell you what things to add to because different applications need different sort of consistencies.
0: And you could even use a roller over a stencil to do something like that. So if you're able to put ink on a roller on a pad to stamp with, you could equally probably easily just roll it onto a stencil and leave that mark. What else did you want to share with us today? Because you said you had one more topic you wanted to cover.
1: So every mailer in the world, I know we've been talking about boxes, every mailer with a self seal has what they call this steel strip, and it reveals the stickiness that then closes the mailer. What is interesting is that even in a 100% recycled mailer where this thing, this actual mailer is 100% recycled, that seal strip is made with virgin paper and it's silicon coated. And people will argue if silicon is a plastic or not. In our definition, we call it a plastic because it is a synthetic material, even though it's made of sand and not fossil fuels but it has a silicon coating on it that renders it not plastic free in our mind and also not recyclable or compostable. And we are like this close to getting a zero waste line or what we call zero waste liner as that seal strip. If that's the case, it would be 100% recycled seal strip with no silicon coating, just a UV coating where that paper is then 100% recycled, curbside recyclable and compostable if the dimensions of it don't allow you to recycle it in your own recycler. It seems like a small thing, but I'm very excited because now the whole product that we sell will sort of live up to more of our ideals of circularity. And then it's been like a dream of ours for a long time to get this to happen.
0: Well, building a circular business is not a simple feat. You just revealed one simple thing that could seem rather easy. In your home, you could tear that portion off and put it in the recycler. But how many people are going to do that? And one of the challenges that recyclers face is that consumers don't know these things because it's hard to know everything. You put it in the recycle bin because you think it's recyclable and then it just gets disposed of. And often it contaminates other materials in your recycle bin that would otherwise be recyclable and therefore the whole batch kind of gets ruined, so to speak. I know that there are different municipalities tackling that in different ways. In some cases, it's mailers to your door to educate you about it. But in the case of my mother-in-law's home in San Jose, my in-laws, they just received brand new garbage bins that are the big old kind. They used to have the small one. They're like, well, they want us to put everything that has ever touched food into the garbage. And they're making that draconian line in the sand in Silicon Valley. this very progressive place because of the fact that there was so much inordinate recycling happening in the area of materials that were not truly recyclable or that couldn't be processed at the local recycler. I think we really need to shift our thinking into the things that we put in our bins are ultimately waste leaving our home, whether or not it's leaving as a second life or its final destination being in the landfill, that it's all waste. And so if we can work to reduce that waste and to create as many circular economies of scale as possible, these things are reborn and they have a new life, so it's cradle to cradle and not just cradle to grave, then we'll be in a better spot. At least that's my thinking and I think you're on board with that as well.
1: Plastic Regulat is an interesting time, I'm sure for all of us, it's a lot about plastic. Everybody's anti-plastic and I, I totally get that, but I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like, we just gotta be thinking about how do we minimize single use?
0: And how do we minimize our waste? How much stuff goes in that garbage bin? And if your recycle bin is also technically garbage, how do we reduce that? If you think about how they handle things in much of Europe, the soda bottles you get are all glass, not plastic in many places. Then they are not put in the recycle bin. They're taken back to the grocer and they will refill them. It's kind of like the old Coke bottle method where you may remember them, those thick glass Coke bottles or the milk bottles that are reusable. That's how we get our milk now in our home and I go to the grocer and I get my rebate back and then I buy the new one each time. It's reducing our reliance on these things that even if they are multi-day use or essentially one time into your home and then out in the garbage.
1: I love that because then you don't have to recycle it. You're just using the item as it is. And I'm hopeful that these EPR legislations that are We just passed one in Colorado. I'm very proud of having that have happened here. If we can have more of them happened nationwide, could we get back to some of these, I would say, common sense ways to think about our packaging? Tell us more about that because
0: I had not heard what just passed in Colorado.
1: Extended producer responsibility is sort of a trend sweeping the nation, but only has been successful in a couple places, Maine, Washington, and now Colorado. And the idea is Producers, so brands and packaging providers, and then the brands that buy from those packaging providers, have to be held accountable to the waste management of the packaging and products that they produce. It takes different forms. The general idea is that an organization is identified, and producers have to fund that organization. And then that organization has two parts one is maximizing education and access to responsible waste stream collecting so recycling and composting and making sure everybody in the state has free access and knows how to do it and then the second is just enhancing and improving the recycling facilities and the recycling supply chain in the state and getting brands to use more pcr right like all of the things that help to build a circular economy brands and consumers can only do so much at some point you need some sort of legislative action that incentivizes all of us to work and row together. And so that's sort of what this EPR legislation is doing. There's been like a dozen or so bills that haven't passed nationwide, but they always say that the most successful way to get a bill to pass is to have it fail one year and then over time it passes. I'm hopeful that in five to 10 years, it's a much more of a standard protocol in this country. It is very popular in Europe and Canada already.
0: Well, we'll get there. And if we have anything to do with it here at Orlo, I mean, I think creating a shipper that operates ultimately as a refillable bottle and something that you use multiple times. And then having the pouches in a post-consumer recycled plastic with a touch of virgin plastic touching the soft gels because that's a requirement of the FDA, but ultimately creating a pouch that is recyclable as opposed to some of those that are plastic on the inside and paper on the outside. They look good, they look the part of eco, but they aren't recyclable and therefore they can't have another life after that moment. We need to also, as consumers, be thinking about these things and how do we then contribute to the passage of a law like that? They're more mindful waste usage around the globe and not just giving up and shifting to a larger trash can because your local community can't figure something out.
1: You know, you also feel for those folks trying to deal with your recycling. And it's like if people are going to wish cycle instead of properly recycle, like what else are they going to do? I think this legislation can help get us to a better place.
0: I did see a video of somebody at a recycle center showing things that were wish cycling, and there was everything from like umbrellas to CDs
1: and bowling balls. Waste management has said that they get like an insane amount of bowling balls. (laughs)
0: Like, what are you doing? That's just ridiculous. As we prepare to wrap, I would love to know what is your favorite meal and what does nutrition without compromise mean to you?
1: Dorky, which is my favorite meal, is that every morning my husband makes a kale smoothie, which is like kale from our garden. Berries and like some peanut butter and stuff, and that meal is my favorite thing because a, it, like it's an act of generosity because he doesn't usually make prepare meals, but it's the one thing he prepares for me every day. I think why I love it, especially at this time of year, is that you know, eighty percent of what goes in that blender is grown in my home or around my home, and I love that part of it. It's the idea that somebody has prepared something for me, like thinking about my own health and wellness and how my day is going to go. That it comes from my home, and then I just think meals like that to start your day off on this great, you know, it sort of prepares you emotionally to have just a wonderful day and to be like stepping the right foot forward as you start, you know, what could be a really hectic day. So I think those are some of the elements that really are core to what I think about with like, yeah, nutrition without compromise.
0: That's beautiful because it's a thankful moment for you too. You're appreciating your partner, you're appreciating your garden, and you get to have a great energy lift to your morning that is both natural and healthy. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Solani. Thank you
1: for asking a great question.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wish I had? And if there is something, you can ask and answer that or just leave us with a final thought.
1: You know you've done a marvelous job so i wouldn't say you haven't asked anything i think the final thought which hopefully you listeners will that has been a thread through what i'm talking about is just a recognition of data science and balance as you're thinking about the world of sustainability avoid demonizing materials or people or companies avoid like thinking something is the silver bullet and recognize like for all of us consumers brands producers etc to make strong good decisions the more we know the facts and then we navigate them in a way that's sort of like collectively compassionate and moving us to the end vision we want to get to, the better we're going to be because we're going to make a lot of bad decisions if we think there are silver bullets and demons out there.
0: Well, isn't that the truth? Well, thank you again so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for this discussion. And I hope as you move into your daily life that you'll think a little bit more about the packaging choices that you make, and even those shipments that you get from Amazon or other e-commerce providers, if you're not happy with how they ship you something, reach out to them and tell them. There is no better act than that to simply push these makers to change. They could be choosing something more mindful, less plastic-based, and ultimately, you can vote with your dollars and choose to purchase from companies that are making those choices already. I encourage you to check out Eco and clothes you can go to their website at ecoenclose.com, and Saloni Doshi is also present on LinkedIn. You can chat with her there. She's quite responsive and ultimately is working every day to try and make our world a little bit of a better place with more circular options for packaging and for shipping. Thank you for visiting us today, for thinking about what nutrition without compromise means to you. And with that, I simply want to raise a glass of my coffee and say, here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs, because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or.